uh, when I have studied for this lesson, it, it's easy to feel like, am I supposed to summarize all of the end times in one lesson? Like that, that's kind of how it feels, right? You know, you've been building, you've been building, but the reality is you guys are good. You're good to go. We've done 31 lessons. It's gone from Genesis to now. So today really is just going to be a highlight of, hey, by the way, do you remember this? Oh yeah. Do you remember this? Oh yeah. But we're going to do that oh yeah mentality based on the outline of Revelation 22. And so I've, I've never done this. So Revelation 22 is going to be our text today, but it's going to summarize all 31 lessons. That makes sense? Uh, so if you want to write, highlight, probably would be a good time. If you've never watched any of this except for today, you're going to get it all today. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to flood you with a lot. It's an it's a old seminary language. You turn up, you know, you open up the fire hydrant and then you just go with it. That, that's what we're going to do today. We're just going to attempt to flood you with the Word of God, and uh, I couldn't be more excited about it. And so, if you guys would, would you go to Revelation 22 as we jump in for uh, the last lesson of this series? Uh, and it's been kind of fun to pray into already, the next series, which I didn't even think we'd even be talking like that. Um, I know, Wendy, you had prayed in there. Rich and I have already had a dialogue about some things, and uh, Ray doesn't know yet. But you will probably need your input on this one. So anyway, Revelation 22, verse 1, it says, Then he showed me the river of living water, sparkling like crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down, it says into verse 2, down the middle of the broad street of the city. So let's back up. Let's put some context in this. We're talking about what we would call paradise. Now, Pastor Stephen, I know that, you know, Muslims use the language paradise all the time. So when we use the language paradise, let's just be clear. Is it the same paradise? No. It's not. No. Just how do you know? Jesus is in there. Okay, amen. <laughs> that's all we needed to say. Okay, that's it. But I'm serious. Like if you interact out on the streets and you're talking to people in different countries, uh, Muslims will use the language paradise. What we're going to describe in Revelation 22 is paradise. It's not the same because as Stephen just said, Jesus is there. And that's really actually obvious. And so when I get to this, you know, in Luke 23, verse 43, okay, remember, Jesus is already preparing us for everything that we're going to read in Revelation. So Luke 23, verse 43, here's what the scripture just says. He says, and he said to him, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. Paradise is same language as Ray. What, what else would we call paradise? Uh, you know, they call it Abraham's bosom. I mean, heaven. Uh, lots, of, lots of different All of the above. Yeah. You've got Abraham's bosom, you've got heaven, you've got paradise. Don't throw that, don't be thrown off by that, okay? Now, remember, we're going to get through how and where we're at, but now when Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise, but Ray, this hasn't happened yet, so what does that mean? Well, at that time, um, uh, paradise had two compartments. One were the saved, and then there was the lost, and there was a, a gulf fixed between them that Jesus actually tells a parable about, and so it's interesting to think, where is he talking about when he says, this day you'll be with me in paradise? It's an interesting dialogue. Yeah. I think you can even take it one step farther, and, and, and don't hold me dogmatically to, but I think there's a picture to this, that when you start walking with Christ, when you are justified in Christ, paradise starts. Yes. Paradise starts, but then the ultimate paradise is nothing like here. It's because of him in us, but then we are with him forever. That forever mentality is what we're going to talk about today. And so you have this paradise language. And so now you're walking, he's showing him the river of living water, sparkling like crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, 
down, and I like this, it says down the middle of the broad street of the city. Now, Ray and I have this conversation before. Lots of theologians have this conversation. Is this the same river as in Ezekiel 47? Is this the same river that in Ezekiel 47, remember this in the millennial, we talked about this, the millennial river? I can't tell you dogmatically. It does look like Ezekiel 47 is the millennial river that's coming out of the temple. And this one does look separately. Kevin supports me in that, Ray does not. So that's where you're kind of like, ah, you know, hey, it's a river. <laughs> but in all reality, I, I do think it's important to understand that people do make this distinction about the Millennial River and not the Millennial River. Ray, you want to add anything to that? Well, I mean, both are, if you want to look in the prophetic symbolic language of just the life, the river, all the symbolism throughout Scripture of Holy Spirit and, you know, rivers of living water coming up inside of us. So whether they're the same or not, yeah. it's still picturing the, the same prophetic language of life it's right. that's flowing. And I think that's really important. It's a symbolic picture of the rain that's going to bring life to all of us. But the point is, is Kevin, if you can go there, Psalm 46, verse 4. Psalm 46, verse 4, I just, again, want to keep showing you this picture of there is a river, Psalm 46, 4, there's a river, it streams delight the city of God, the most holy dwelling, uh, the holy dwelling place of the Most High. All throughout Scripture, river equals life. Remember, the Psalms, even the Law and the Prophets, it's all going to keep pointing to this picture of, of life. In fact, you don't need to go there, but I'll give you a reference. Jeremiah 2, verse 13, this is the fountain of living water. There's this language in Psalm 36, for with you is life's uh, fountain. Like, He is the source that we have. And that's what He's imaging in, in the millennial, and He's what He's painting a picture in in paradise. So now it's coming down the middle of the broad street. The tree of life was on the both sides of the river, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for healing the nations. So now we're describing paradise. You've got a river that's flowing from the throne of, yes, God and of the Lamb. It's coming down the middle of a really broad street. And oh, by the way, the tree of life, somehow it's referencing only one tree. But somehow it's on both sides. Kevin, Kevin has a theory. Go ahead, Kevin. I think maybe it arches across it. I don't know. Go to Genesis 3, Kevin, 22, 23, and 24. This same tree that's there, this is important to understand. It's on both sides of the river. We've got all kinds of, 12 kinds of fruit. But in Genesis 3, 22, it says, The Lord God said, Since man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must not reach out, take from the tree of life. Now watch this, eat, and what will happen if he eats it? He will live forever. This tree was prophetically painted in Genesis, and now we get to experience it in Revelation. No, 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 you can't have this in Genesis. Why? Because now I got to reserve it for Revelation in 22. Like, this is how what I'm saying, you guys, Revelation should not shock us if we are understanding the Old Testament. If we are in the 39 books, oh, of course the tree of life is forever. He said that in Genesis 3. But what we do sometimes is we just, we just kind of read through it really fast, right? So what we're seeing is what he originally intended. Ray? You know, it's interesting that this whole thing started, you know, with Adam and Eve. <clears throat> it started with them. And when they ate from the, from the other tree, it started creating division within mankind. And so we have all of the nation. I love that it says that eating from this tree now brings healing to the nations. 
Okay, great point. So the leaves of the tree are for healing the nations. That's kind of a, it'll mess with your mind a little bit. Remember though, in lesson, uh, in a lesson 11, we talked about the fall of the nations. Do you guys remember that? And now we're seeing a restoration of that. So again, if you want to dig into that a little bit more, but now can, can I just paint a picture here in verses one and two? We're talking about paradise being New Jerusalem, right? This is New Jerusalem. We started to prophetically paint a picture of that in Lesson 10 about the rebirth of Israel. God is always about redeeming and restoring, and this is the ultimate restoration of Israel. This is New Jerusalem. So again, all of these lessons have culminated to this. So when you get to this point, you're like, yeah, this totally makes sense now. So as we continue to unfold this, it says, and there will no longer be any curse. Remember in Lesson 2 about the battle begins? There's no more battle. There's no more battle that we are facing. Everybody's just breathing. The imagery is is that we are constantly now feeding on his presence and there's no longer any curse. Now watch this. It says this, the throne of God and the lamb will be in the city, right? This is the city and his slaves will serve him. Do you remember in lesson 21 and 22, we talked about Jesus and his kingdom. Do you remember it was the Jews and the Gentiles? By the way, when we see the word his slaves here, he's talking about Jews and Gentiles that now know Yeshua as their Lord and Savior. Because of our faith in him, uh, there is no more distinction. And in fact, it's all based on what we talked about in the lesson nine, the new covenant. Because of what Jeremiah talked about, right? The new covenant. And because of what we have, in belie- uh, we have believed in, we now get to be with him truly forever. Ray, when I talk about the tabernacle of David, Kevin, I want you to chime in as well. When I talk about the tabernacle of David, what what are we talking about? David's tabernacle had the ark in the center and Levites worshiping 24-7 around it. Yeah. And that tabernacle of David was a foreshadow of what we get to see in paradise. How do we know? Because his slaves will serve him. There will be worship nonstop. I mean, we're talking about 45 minutes of worship here, you know, to number our days. Can you imagine all of us from all over the nations experiencing his healing, worshiping the, at the throne of God and throne, uh, the throne of Lamb, we get to worship together. Jews and Gentiles who now know Christ. You know, when you get to verse four, everything that you and I have been wanting for, everything is right here. We will, it says, they will see his face. You guys realize that up until this point, Exodus 33, verse 20, up until this point, Ray, no, nobody could see his face. Nobody. Nobody could see his face. But in paradise, in fact, in Exodus 33, 20, but he answered him, you cannot see my face for no one can see me and live. But now in paradise, we're saying, oh, by the way, scripture says you will see his face. You will get to experience his presence. Now watch this in verse four. This is what throws everybody off. It says you get to see him face to face. And oh, by the way, his name will be on their foreheads. Ray, who's there? (laughs) Who's their foreheads? It's all of us. (laughs) So tattoos are legit in paradise. No, but isn't this true? We're not talking about now. We're not talking about the mark of the beast. We're talking about his name will be somehow scratched, etched, forever on their, on their foreheads. And by the way, Revelation 3.12 already prophesies this, already talks about this. 
Revelation 3, verse 12. Again, all of this builds. The victor. I will make him a pillar in the sanctuary of my God, and he will never go out again. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. So you already have this language of writing that he's going to put it on people. But then, Ray, do you remember the 144,000? Like, he has a seal on them as well. So it's almost like there's a mark on them. So when you get to paradise, he's just like, yep, they're all mine. Right? I don't know how else to get around it. That's, that's the context that we are, are in. When you get to verse 5 of Revelation 22, it says, Night will no longer exist, and people will not need lamplight or sunlight. Because the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Kevin, when you think of this imagery, you're always good with pictures. What, what comes to your mind with this? Well, there will be no darkness because the light will be so much. It's pretty bright. Ray, you got anything else to that? Uh, no, it's just, you know, I, I go back to the beginning where he says, let there be light. Uh, you know, and light as it... Darkness can't exist in light. Just that imagery of Jesus as I am the light of the world. Like, it's for real. Like, you see that temporarily here, but in paradise, that's it. He, he is the light. He's the light in all of this. So now in this, as the light is there, it says they will reign forever. Now, we've already determined it's Jews and Gentiles, those that believe in Yeshua. Do you guys remember the promise to Abram in our lesson number three? Do you remember this? He promised, Kevin, what was going to happen to Abram? He was going to bless all nations. He was going to have some land. Yeah. Uh, his children would be more numerous than the sands of the sea. It sure looks like this is even a fulfillment of the promise to Abram. This word reign, like we get to do something in paradise. Now, remember in the millennium, the thousand years, right? Do you remember this? We get actual things to do. The same goes in paradise. Remember, watch this, Adam was originally given dominion over the old creation of the earth. Just what if we are given the authority to rule and reign in paradise of places that we can't even imagine? Ray, you want to clean up anything? No, I want to keep running with that. (laughs) Now watch this, in verse 6, he does say this, okay? He's describing paradise. Keep remembering this. He's describing first first one through five verses. It's just a description. And then he said, Kevin, who's he again? This is the angel. And he's talking to who? John. And who's John? John is the writer of Revelation. And did John hang out with Jesus? He did. He was one of his three inner disciples. That's right. Then he said to me, these words are faithful and true. In other words, everything I just said, it's done. When I hear faithful and true, I got to go there, Revelation 19, 11. Remember when the horse, remember when Jesus is coming? You remember the description of him? Revelation 19, 11. As he's coming, he describes him. He says, Kevin, if you can go there, Revelation 19, verse 11. He says, and I saw heaven open. Interesting enough, I saw heaven open. And there was a white horse. Its rider is called faithful and true. These words that I just said, remember in Revelation 22, they're faithful and true in Revelation 22, 6. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his slaves what must quickly take place. Now, interesting enough, we're now going to shift to Jesus talking in verse 7. 
Now we're shifting, so we have a different narrator. He says, look, in verse 7, this is what we've called lesson 32. Look, I'm coming quickly. The one who keeps the prophetic words of this book is blessed. In other words, don't shy away from the book of Revelation. You have nothing to fear. You're qualified. I think people are like, ah, I got to go through X, Y, and Z in order to get to that point. I, I think we think that. Or I got to read, and I'm not making light of this when I say this, I got to read the Left Behind series. I got to watch a different video. I got to watch something. I got to read a magazine article. You guys, just get into the word yourself. And in that, the scripture says, if you keep these prophetic words, you will be blessed. This language coming quickly, it's imminent, it's soon. And Jesus is saying this. Now, Kevin, this would have been written when? Probably late 70s, early 80s AD. Yeah, maybe even up into the early 90s. So people would just say that time frame. Jesus' definition of coming quickly is a little different than ours. Like if I need something heated up, I need it quickly, I'm going to heat it up and I got about 30 seconds. This, his quickly is, you want to try to figure that one out, right? No. How do we live in this posture of him coming quickly? Like, what do we need to do? Remember, the whole thing about to number our days is to make the most of our time. I think Wearsby does a great job of describing how do we live like this. And then he even describes this. He says, number one, okay, in order to understand that I am coming quickly, right? And he says, look, What do do we need to do? One, we must, it's important, keep God's word. First and foremost, in order to understand that he's coming quickly, because what does he say? The one who keeps the prophetic words of this book is blessed. Do not shy away from revelation. And he says in verse eight, now we got a new speaker, by the way, John. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. Scripture just says, when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had shown them to me. Now, we already know this is a big (laughs) no-no. He starts worshiping an angel, right? The problem is John did this earlier in Revelation 19.10. So it's not just Peter who messes up over and over. John did as well, Revelation 19.10. Kevin, will you go there? Then I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said, don't do that. Just a couple chapters later, Revelation 22, you hear the same thing. 22 verse 9, I fell at his feet and he said, don't do that. Anybody ever need to be taught one, two times, three times? Are you raising your hand five times? Five, ten? We're we're all there. Ten. Just relax if you've messed up in life. He still can use you and speak to you. Don't discredit because you were disobedient one time. So in this, he says, look, man, I I, I just want to let you know. He says, I'm a fellow slave with you. Your brothers, the prophets, and those who keep the words of this book worship God. I have no problem saying this. There are religions today that have you worship angels. It's not of the Lord. You see at least two times in scripture, do not worship angels. Let's not do that. Angels are ministering spirits to help us, it says in Hebrews, advance the kingdom of God. And so John, he hears this twice. But Kevin, sometimes we're just slow, aren't we? Yeah, and you got to remember it's in his vision 
that he's doing this. Yeah, he's disobedient in his vision. No, I love it, Kevin. Thanks. So he just says, don't do this. Now he says in verse 10, he says, he also said to me, so the angel said to John, don't, oh man, this might be the best verse. He also said to me, don't seal the prophetic words of this book because the time is near. I'm going to go to Ray here in a second, but I want you to understand something. Do you remember the purposes of the law? Do you guys remember in lesson four that we talked about? How about the prophetic Psalms? Do you guys remember that? The ones that David thought we were done? Remember that? We had lesson six and lesson seven because we summarized everything, right? Because the Psalms, what did they do? They pointed to the end, correct? What I love is, is that all of that was pointing to the prophetic picture here. All of it. Everything was pointing to the eternal paradise. Everything was pointing to this. And so, Ray, what do you think he's implying when he says, don't seal this up? What is he talking about? Well, if you remember in Daniel, uh, Daniel was told to seal up the prophecy. And so John is the latter expression of what Daniel started tapping into. And so now he's saying everything's revealed. That's right. So in Dan Daniel 12, what Ray just alluded to, Kevin, go there. Daniel 12, verse 4, uh, he was told, <laughs> don't tell anybody, but you, Daniel, keep these words secret and seal the book until the time of the end. Many will roam about and knowledge will increase. In other words, Ray, there's so much that hadn't happened yet. Daniel writes about this, stay quiet about it. But now what Ray just, exactly what Ray just said, hey, by the way, I need everybody to know. I need everybody. The time is near. Do you guys remember the signs of times, lessons 24 and 25? We gave all these warnings. We talked about the Antichrist. We walked through all of this process. Daniel's timeline. You remember in lesson 13, even the, the, uh, the rays of the Antichrist in lesson 14, all of these alluded to that the time is super near. <laughs> all of these lessons, when you get to this point, you're like, yeah, I totally get this. Constable says this, as an artist covers his work when it is under construction until it is complete, so God covers his picture of the future until he finished it. Does that make sense? It's almost like, I don't want to show everybody what I've done. And you guys are worship guys. If you guys are writing stuff, yeah, you might sound it out with like your spouse. You might sound it out with somebody close, but you're not going to expose it. You're not going to reveal it until it's done. It's the same imagery in Daniel. Hey, look, I've got a lot more to work through. But now when we get to Revelation, God said, yep, you can show everybody. I revealed everything from the beginning to the end. I want to make this really, really clear. So then he says in verse 11, back in Revelation 22, verse 11, he says, let the unrighteous go on in unrighteousness. Let the filthy go on in being made filthy. Let the righteous go on in righteousness and let the holy go on being made holy. Now, from, from just looking at this, you, you could look at, well, you've got the unrighteous, they're going to keep living their life. You have the filthy, just let them keep on being filthy. The righteous, let them just keep walking in righteousness. Let the holy keep being holy. But the reality is, for me, and I love this, this is beginning to serve, you ready for this, as an evangelistic appeal, it's time to change. Remember, he's describing paradise, but Ray, we still have a chance. We're not there yet. Does that make sense? We're not fully there yet. Yeah, because of who we are in Christ, we experience it. But there's still a chance for people to change right now. 
So you can take it as loud, let them just keep going. Or you can say, hey, guys, it's time. In fact, I I love what uh, Thomas says. He says uh, that you need to change while there's still time. You can walk in unrighteousness or you can start walking in righteousness. So when you begin to get to verse 12, and it's really 12 through 14. So when you have this mindset of, look, I'm coming quickly. We got to keep God's word. We have to understand the law of the prophets. They all point to, and we need to adhere to the prophetic promises that we see in Revelation. We got to keep God's word. But then he also says in 12 through 14, and, and it really begins to unpack, we have the responsibilities though to serve the Lord. I think this is important because I can tell you this, there's a lot of amazing churches that love number one. They love keeping God's word. They love holding Bible studies. They love memorizing. But you guys, there's another game changer to this. It has to go from keeping God's word to living it out. And we can say, oh yeah, I know, but statistics say, yeah, right. I mean, Stephen, you travel all over the world. Tell us about this tension that you see. To link number two to what's going on around the world, I think believers uh, today have gone weary or tired um, of uh, the responsibilities given to us. And in the end of verses 11, it says holy, but actually in Greek it says holy still, eti, which means in light of continue being holy until that day comes where we have a responsibility to not give up. Okay, that, that totally transitions into 12. And just believe what he said about the Greek. That was good. I like that a lot. Uh, he says, again, Jesus, again, verse 12, ties into exactly what Stephen said. Look, I am coming quickly. And my reward is with me to repay each person according to what he has done. So yes, here's the reality. He is not just coming. Uh, how do I put this? He's coming to give you a reward. He's coming to, I'm going to say this, judge you the Bema seat. You remember the Bema seat? You guys remember we talked about that in lesson uh, 27. You remember that? Once the rapture and the return in, in lesson 26 takes place, right? Then you have the Bema seat. So we've been taken up. The dead first, the alive that are here, they go up, and then we meet the judgment seat of Christ, the tribunal seat of Christ, the Bema seat of Christ. And we get judged based on what? On what we've done here. On it's what based done. on uh, the things that we've done uh through the power of Jesus. And it's and it's judged against what we've done in our own strength. So crazy. Kevin, can you go to 2 Corinthians 5:10? I don't know why we're so afraid to teach on this. It's not works-based at all. It's straight biblical and it's paradise driven. For we must all appear before the tribunal of Christ so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or worthless. He's actually going to see us and say, yes, I'm going to give you more. Yes, I'm not going to give you as much, but he's coming and he's going to do this. So when we have this mentality that he's coming quickly, what am I doing with what I've been given right now? Like what if he actually came and you realize that you had a gift of hospitality, but you never were hospitable? You have the gift of teaching, but you're so afraid to teach that you're not going to do it. Guess what? You miss out on a reward. Imagine if you have finances in Matthew 6 and you hold on to these finances and you never release those finances. Guess what? You miss out on a reward. Like God wants to reward you with the gifts and the talents and the resources, everything that he's given you. And the scripture says, I'm coming quickly. 
It's pretty clear. Release the gifts that you've been given and walk them out. And as you see all of this, you just it, it, it really is the number one lesson of to number our days. Make the most of what you've been given today. And in that, I believe, uh, and by the way, this comes in, remember the millennial lesson we taught on millennial uh, in 17 and lesson 18, we talked about all the descriptions of millennial. I believe, Ray, correct me if I'm wrong, we do get to rule and reign in the millennium as well. Yep. And so a lot of that is based off of what we do even here. So that millennium is just kind of like a, a push to get to paradise, correct? Correct. Even talks about in this life, like right now, we are supposed to be reigning and ruling with him. Yeah, that's good. You know, Paul, uh, he, he really didn't want to be disqualified. So he disciplined himself so much. I actually believe you guys, he's thinking about the rewards. He was given a lot. Paul didn't really want to mess around. It's just a reference from 1 Corinthians 9. As you go to Revelation 22, verse 13, please hear me say this. This is um, a really uh, one of the more powerful verses of all of Scripture. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. <laughs> Ray, it's a mic drop. It is. It throws off every Jehovah Witness and Mormon. They don't know what to do with this text, by the way. Jesus is God. He's the beginning and the end. He's the first and the last. He's the Alpha and the Omega. In uh, Revelation 22, verse 14, Scripture just says, Blessed are those who... They wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter the city by the gates. Here's that language of the tree of life again. If, if you want access forever, <laughs> it comes through the blood of Christ, which is how we've been washed. And he says, you have the robe that I've given you? Come on. He says, you can enter the city by the gates. Kevin, do you remember in Revelation uh, 21, how many gates are there? There are 12 gates, three on each side of the city. Yeah, and, and what are the gates named after? Uh, the 12 tribes of Israel. You have the 12 tribes of Israel that are named after the gates. You've got a pearl, right, above every gate. And then you have these foundations that are named after every apostle. And so you have, again, the slave's mentality of Jew and Gentile. And he says, oh, by the way, you can enter these gates because of the robe I've given you, because it's been washed by me. You know, you could take this multiple different ways, but all I want to just say is, is when your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, it starts when you say, yes, I know I'm a sinner. I know my sin leads to death, and I know that God demonstrated his love, and it wipes away by what Christ did on the cross. It wipes it away. When he wiped away the sin and the death, he says when you embrace that by faith, he says, come on into the city. Welcome to paradise. And you don't have to do anything to earn that paradise, by the way. Stephen, you hear it more than anybody. There's many times you have to become a martyr to earn paradise. Or many times your good has to outweigh your bad, but it's free. It's free. 
And he says, as you come into the city gates, there's going to be people outside. And he describes these people as the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexual immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everybody who loves and practices lying. In other words, if you have this as a lifestyle, if you live a life of impurity, a life of being a quote-unquote scavenger, as the scripture describes these type of people, he really just says, yes, there will be judgment that takes place. You know, in in lesson 15 and 16, we talked about the judgment of the nations that are going to come. If you are not washed by the robe, folks, you are not getting into those gates. This is a very practical image that we see here. Ray, you want to, is there anything else you want to allude to that? You know, the more that I really think about Jesus telling Nicodemus that he had to be born again, you know, we didn't have as much a sin problem as we had a nature problem. And part of what being born again is I got a radical nature change and that affects everything. And, you know, that's really what we're called to. If we're going to spend eternity with God, we have to have a nature like his. Just a second. In Judaism and Islam, there's no guarantee of salvation. None doesn't exist. And when we did revelations in Israel, I think you and I talked about that last time. We did revelation teaching in, in, in the Arabic in the Arab world. Um, we, 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 we ponder on how do we sell them on the image of revelation yeah. and how does that benefit the, 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 the Muslim and the Jew? And, and I guess in, in, in your context of being in America, how do you sell this to a non-believer? Um, how is this going to connect to someone? Could, we, could revelations be used to bring non-believers into an existence, a relationship with Jesus? And I... And the, the answer we derive from, I don't know how, how we do it in the West, but how we derive from is to sell them on that Jesus is right there every step of the way. Yeah. He is Eti, he is, he is, it's of him, by him. And that is, that is what we did, is, is that reality that he is the Alpha and Omega, he's always there. He's always there. He's always there. And that's, that gives us the assurance of the past, present, and the future. That's good. That's really good. You know, 14, 15, and even 16, one thing I want to just point out, how do we have this mentality of Christ coming back, right? Wearsby would say you got to keep, our, uh, keep God's word. We've been to this. We got to start having the understanding we've been given responsibilities and live them out. We got to serve the Lord. But then I, I, I like this one, is that we need to keep our lives, uh, let's put it this way, clean and pure. That's what he says, right? He says we've been washed, our, 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 uh, those who have washed their robes. It's who we are in Christ. And he says, and by the way, you're not those people. Those are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexual immoral. That's not us, right? It's that 1 Corinthians 6 mentality of, yeah, that's how you used to be, but now you're washed and justified by Christ. Like that's the image that we're talking about. So we have to have this mentality. And I'll even say this. I think people that do this really well. I think there's people that do this well. The part that's confusing even our culture is, is this part gets really messy. We don't want to live a pure and holy and clean life. Any of us should be able to walk into any of our homes, check our phones, check our computers, check our finances, check our everything, our garages. Is there anything that's not of the Lord? Because I'm telling you, if he's coming quickly, we don't want any of that baggage. Like, that's the mentality of to number our days. Can we get to that point? Because the Spirit of God is so alive and real. You know, this last Sunday, we saw a young man. Uh, he decided to, to surrender his life to Christ after church. It was really fun. We're getting ready to walk into the church. And before we walk into the church, he looked at me. And he goes, you know what? I'm an alcoholic. 
I'm an addict. If I'm going to start walking with him, I've got to surrender that part of my life. You guys, it's all or none. Let him do that work. And by the way, he's getting baptized this Sunday. And I, I think for me, like, we have got to get to that point of, of clean, pure, holy living. And I don't know why we confuse this, that we can play the games with the world and the flesh and then just start dabbling in our relationship with Jesus. 14, 15, and 16 is pretty clear. 16, it's the only time Jesus says this, I, Jesus. Hey, I'm talking, Jesus says. I, Jesus, have sent my angel. Remember the angel that Kevin was alluding to that has the bowl of wrath? I'm sent my angel to attest these things to you for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright morning star. <laughs> Woo! All right. Now, we originally, at the very beginning of to number our days, we talked about this language of key of David. You guys remember this language? We alluded to it last lesson. This is where we go. I want you to understand something. David, and I like what Constable said here, David founded old Jerusalem. Yeah, you have the Jebus. Yeah, you have the foreigners, right? That have established this. But really, David, King David was the one who established old Jerusalem. But God, uh, but David's greatest son established the new Jerusalem. David established old Jerusalem. But David's greatest son, watch this, established new Jerusalem. In other words, Jesus is the ancestor of David. He's also the descendant of David. Did you catch that? The ancestor and the descendant. He's the offspring of David. He literally fulfills everything of the lineage of David. David, yes. The key of David, guess who holds it? Jesus. What unlocks New Jerusalem? The key of David. And you see it right here. He is the root and the offspring of David. Yeah, David might have had old Jerusalem, but Jesus has new Jerusalem. And the only way to access to new Jerusalem is the key of David, which comes through Isaiah 22, yes, through Jesus. Please understand and slow down that language. In Revelation 22, verse 16, he's pretty clear. And then when you get into verses 17, uh, and, and by the way, that even references, you guys remember the dynasty of David in lesson four? that we talked about, the dynasty of David that we alluded to in lesson four. In verse 17, uh, let's go, this is the last thing here. I probably should just, so you can fit it here. This is the last point here. Keep expecting, keep expecting Jesus' return. You can say, well, that sure sounds like uh, the first part, yep. He says this in verse 17, both the spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, and the bride. Many would allude to that's the church. Remember the bride earlier was in reference to the city. We think this is probably in reference to the church. Could be either way. Both the spirit and the bride say, come. Anyone who hears should say, come. And the one who is thirsty should come. Whoever desires should take the living water as a gift. So as we're still talking about end times, as we're still talking about rewards and judgment, he's still giving an offer of an invitation. He's still evangelistically saying, hey, anybody who wants to come to me, come. Do you remember the two witnesses at the last three and a half years? Come. Judgment and mercy, come. 
Do you remember the 144,000? Yes, come. He's always giving us an outlet. And even in the end times of the, of the book, Revelation, he's still saying, hey, it's not too late. It was that typical fashion. I was at a coffee shop this morning. And there's a guy that walked by and he had Minnesota on his sweatshirt. And I was like, hey, my wife's from Minnesota. He doesn't care. But he walked by. At least it didn't say Jesus squeezes this time. Last time I had to go hug a guy. That was random. But this time I didn't have to hug a guy. And I was like, hey, you from Minnesota? He goes, nope, South Dakota. It's like, okay. So he's all done and he gets his coffee. He's sitting there and the Lord said, what are you waiting for? Well, I have to study, Lord. <laughs> Just go. So I walk up to him and go, hey, so you're from South Dakota? Yeah. He goes, yeah. But I go, but where are you really from? He goes, oh, Ethiopia. And uh, we started a dialogue. And I said, you know, the craziest thing. I said, I talked to a guy last night from Ethiopia. I have a friend that's translating into Amharic for our Jews in Israel uh, that's Ethiopian. We have a good friend that's from Addis Ababa. Just started talking to him. And, uh, and I said, we have a Bible school in all these different locations. And he says to me, man, I'm totally walked away from God. And I go, it's not too late. He said, I drive truck all over the, all over the United States. He's like, I don't know where to start. So I got his number. And guess who's going to start a truck driving group for Telegram and Revive School? This new friend of mine from Starbucks. Because he just didn't know where to start. I'm telling you, people are waiting for an invitation to come back. We just have to start giving them that option. And this, this young man from South Dakota that's really from Ethiopia He's like, yes, I would like this. I'm telling you guys, that's the number of our days. Please make the most of it. If he's coming back, we have to live like that. And he says in verse 18, back in Revelation 22, I testify to everyone who hears the prophetic words of this book. If anybody adds to them, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. You guys, you remember the wrath of God lesson that we talked about in 28? <laughs> oh yeah, I'm going to bring a couple more plagues if you even mess with this book. Don't add to this whole thing. I'm just saying don't mess with it. And if anybody in verse 19 takes away from the words of this prophetic book, God will take away his share of the tree of life and the holy city written in this book. Maybe he's taking away rewards. Maybe he's taking away eternal life. But I will tell you in lesson 30, the fire, destruction, and judgment, I wouldn't want to mess around with God. Do not change up the scripture so that works for you. He says in verse 20, and I... I love this. He who testifies about these things says, ah, yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. This should be our bumper sticker everywhere. Like this should be our mantra. This should be our taglines. Yes. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. It's that language of 1 Corinthians 16, verse 22. Maranatha. That is Lord come. I love our friend of ours, Michael Miller at the upper room. He started teaching on this and he just said, Maranatha means he came. He's coming, so come. I'll say it one more time. He came, he's coming, so come. It's this mentality of a repeated theme all throughout Revelation. Christ is coming and we have to expect it. If we expect it, we got to be in the word. If we're in the word, we're going to start living and serving. And in that, we will walk a holy and righteous because we have a new nature. We are reflecting him. And so we got to get ready. To me, that's a summary of of all of to number our days. In verse 21, praise God, 
The only way you and I can do this on any level, Revelation 22, 21, it says, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all the saints. The only way we can do this in Israel, the only way we can do this in Texas, the only way we can do this in Botswana, the only way we can do this in Soroti, Uganda, the only way we can do this in any of these languages, in any of these communities of Cameroon is by the grace of God. And so my prayer is, is may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with each and every one of you. When we embrace his grace, I believe he'll use us to advance the kingdom of God and get ready for his return. <laughs>